die now or die later. What is the quality of life for a cricket? Is it worse to be crushed or eaten? Welcome to Daring to Tell, the podcast where writers read memoir chapters or personal essays, and then we talk about it. I never did see nothing like that. I never did dream nothing like that. I am usually your host, Michelle Rado. Today, I will be moving into the writer's chair, and author Melanie Brooks will be the one asking me all the questions. I thought I'd also change up my theme song for this episode, Make Me Brave is the usual one, but this song, Nothing Like That, also written by my husband, Phil Rado, has been an alternate theme song every now and then, and it kind of fits the mood a little better today, which has to do with change. Before I dive in, I want to give a quick shout out to the Hashtag Am Writing Podcast. It is a podcast geared toward any kind of writing, fiction, nonfiction, short things, long things. And this summer, they're doing a very cool thing, the Blueprint for a Book Challenge. It's a 10-week set of projects, basically homework assignments, that will help get your book idea or maybe a rough draft ready for the next stage. Anyone can participate for free just by listening. And I love the idea of staying accountable to a schedule because being accountable only to ourselves can be difficult when we're out here on our own trying to figure out what's next with a writing project. I will put a link to them in the show notes. Hashtag AmWritingPodcast and their summer blueprint for a book challenge. It's already underway, so hop to it. Now is the time. Also, the next bookstore I am featuring in Maine is none other than Twice Told Tales in Brunswick, where I have been volunteering for a year now. It's hard to believe. If you are the first visitor to come in and say you've heard about the free Daring to Tell prize package, well, it shall be yours. I will say more about it at the end of this episode. Now I shall make you wait no longer. Here is Melanie Brooks, guest host for this month's Daring to Tell. Well, thanks for having me, Michelle. It's fun to be back. And it, like I said, it's fun to be on this side of the table and get to ask you about everything you've been asking all of these other writers about. Let's talk, first of all, why don't we start with your essay in terms of just talking about the context of that essay a little bit and mm. why you chose this particular essay to read. I will tell the audience that it was chosen as it for 19th place in the Writer's Digest annual personal essay contest, right? Yeah, that's right. And I just I was just looking up on Writer's Digest and saw your name printed in the in this <laughs> month's issue, which is exciting. So thank you. So that's fantastic. Congratulations on that. It's always fun to have that kind of thank publication you. success. And for listeners who may not know, Writer's Digest has a huge distribution. So I can imagine that there were a large number of entries in that contest. So getting number 19 is fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. I was super, super excited. When you see those words, congratulations, I don't know. Sometimes you go, 
wait, is this some spam thing? But I was like, <laughs> I like started, you know, screeching at supersonic levels. <laughs> yeah. So talk a little bit about this essay. So it's called The Wonder, and it's actually coming up on almost a year old now to when I first wrote it. So when my husband, Phil, and I moved from Boston to Maine in the summer of 2020, I started doing this thing with friends and a couple of the smaller writing circles that I had been in. We were talking about how to build a platform and all this kind of stuff. And a newsletter came up as one idea. So I thought, you know, I also love it when I read books that document people's experience in a year in the life of something. And I thought we're coming up on this major year experience. I'm going to write a newsletter every week. And so I started doing it in June of 2020, a few weeks before we left. And every Friday, I would sit down and type out, here's what's happened, here's what we're doing. And it transitioned like a few weeks before we left up until being in Maine. And frankly, we moved on a Friday. So the only Friday that I missed in over a year was the Friday that we actually moved because <laughs> it was just too crazy. So basically every Friday, I sent out a newsletter of what was going on. And so this started off as one of my newsletters. And I grew to love, love, love my chance to sit down and write that newsletter every Friday morning. There was so much going on moving to, as I keep calling it, our big old farmhouse in Maine. There were lots of repairs that had to happen. There were just lots of new things that had to be done. So documenting everything every week. I got in the habit of spending the whole week thinking about what am I going to write about in the newsletter this week? So it was a great practice. Well, I can imagine that it it got you in kind of the mindset of everything is a possibility for writing, right? Yes. But you kind of, we as writers do a lot of that where we pay attention to our experiences from a writerly standpoint. Like we recognize kind of how they make us feel, what we're thinking about in the moment. And then we think, oh, that could be an essay, right? right. So I imagine that kind of got you into that place of thinking like, how can I use what just happened to me as a potential springboard for a piece of writing or yeah exactly and so many of the tasks that came with home ownership really worked well as an overlay to lots of thinking time like raking leaves <laughs> that got to be one of my favorite things to like I'm gonna go out and rake for a while and that helps me think and then right. sort of everything becomes a metaphor for something else and so right it was a lot of sort of very rich fodder for a lot of things to consider about how different my life was then to now. Well, and that's kind of what this essay is about, right? It's a, it's yeah. kind of this metaphor that it, you know, hones in on this very specific little experience, but acknowledges kind of the grander scheme of taking this step of moving away from Boston, moving away from your careers in Boston, moving into this, is it a hundred year old farmhouse you're in? 200. 200 year old farmhouse, you know, yep. and how you see yourself evolving out of that experience. Yes. So it's a beautiful metaphor 
for that. So I'm excited for the audience to hear it as well. Thank you. All right. So without further ado, Michelle is going to read her beautiful essay, The Wonder. Thanks. I was just squeezing toothpaste onto my toothbrush for the closing bedtime ritual of another day when I noticed the little orange rug in front of the main shower. This bathroom has two showers, one that works, the other with an eroding tile floor. The rug was a little bit askew. I pushed it back into place with my toe and oh, a little black bug went hop, hop, hopping away from the earthquake I had caused. I recognized its movement immediately, and in spite of seeing angled arms and legs coming out of a thorax in all directions, I didn't freak out. It was a little cricket, a bug that has charmed me. But this one looked a little funny. Upon closer inspection, I could see it was missing one of its hind legs, and so was impaired a bit in its hopping, heading more in a circle than a straight trajectory. Oh no, spurt forth from my throat. To Phil, these spontaneous exclamations usually signal something that suggests far worse than whatever is truly the matter. What's wrong, he called. There's a little cricket in here and it's missing its hind leg and I don't know what to do about it. Baby, you can't do anything. And it's true. How can I help a little cricket with only one hind hopping leg? Over the past year, our first year in this 200-year-old farmhouse on the mid-coast of Maine, I've come leaps and bounds in my tolerance of the multi-legged critters that I now live among. In the city, I was quite certain that insects and vermin were interlopers in our world. Here, it's become much less clear who the interloper truly is. When I find bugs in the house that I don't want to crush or flush, or that our cat Rocky won't stalk and eat, I run for the bug zooka. Truly a miracle invention for people like me. It is a long suction tube device that captures the offending critter, which you then can take outside to free. If I have the time and interest, I'll carry it out to the back deck to dump the lucky specimen into the bushes. As I fling them back into their world, I often tell them, boy, will you have a story to tell when you get back home. If it's an especially objectionable bug, like those awful stink bugs, I'll take it out front and walk it across the street to thrust it into the brush on the other side of the road a full 20 yards or so from the front door. That way, they'll never find their way back. Yeah, right. Sometimes, like if I'm upstairs and busy writing or reading or cutting sound or something, I'll just leave it trapped in the capsule and try to remember to let it out later. Sometimes I catch a few before emptying it. Sometimes I forget and they die there. But I felt so sad for this little cricket, trapped indoors. It was late and dark, and I didn't particularly want to bring it outside, where I figured it would only be eaten anyway. I've come to realize this will be the case for any of the bugs that I catch and release. Die now or die later. What is the quality of life for a cricket? Is it worse to be crushed or eaten? Now, as I type this, I think I probably should have caught it and put it outside in the bushes, where it might have at least enjoyed a bit more time to hide under a leaf and sing. 
enjoyed a bit more wonder of the world. Hindsight tends to be more obvious after the fact, and in this case, I wish I had done that. Instead, I got myself a bit more worked up about the little critter while I continued on brushing my teeth, consulting Phil about what to do. I went back to see where it was after making its limp hop getaway from the orange rug to under the bathroom scale. It had paused there before heading under the radiator. As I got down on all fours to see where it was going, the horror truly struck. I witnessed it stumble into a loose pile of dust and... Oh, no. A medium-sized daddy longlegs crawled out from under the radiator and masterfully encircled the cricket as it entered the spider's lair. Well, that's it, isn't it? Nature in action right there on the bathroom floor as Phil and I strive for survival of the fittest in a different manner by way of brushing our teeth. I was completely bereft. If my prior cry had been alarmist, I was now escalated to a four-alarm blaze. You're not going to believe this. Just now. I just saw the cricket get tangled in a web of daddy longlegs, I cried. And I can't do anything. What can I do? I hate daddy longlegs. I know, Phil agreed while climbing under the covers. Yet, I've learned to accept the spiders, most of them, depending on their actions and locations, because they eat the bugs. That's a good thing, isn't it? Usually? I imagined the horror of the poor cricket, just trying to seek refuge from being stepped on by a giant human or pawed at by a curious tabby, only to meet its demise with this horrible long-legged vampire. This past year, I can hardly conceive of my own metamorphosis. Now so casual, even while bereft, about the fate of a cricket in our house. Now, when I see bugs making themselves at home here with us, my first reaction is not to immediately call the pest control company. I assess based on the bug. Stink bugs and beetles I catch and release. Ants I squish. Spiders may require me to call Phil, but often, if I let them be... They'll just move on within a day or so. Flies, Rocky instinctually catches and consumes, but one morning he threw up five times in a row, I think because he had eaten too many bugs the day before. If they happen to be near a door, I'll try to shoo them out. If not, I'll swat them. But worst are the awful wasps who try to nest in our vinyl siding or eaves of the barn. Once in a while, one will show up on the inside of the screen of the bathroom window. If you simply shut the window, the Grim Reaper visits within about 36 hours. That's a pretty decent response time. And so when I catch myself, as I did the other day when I was sitting on the retaining wall outside our front door, talking with my best friend on the phone after finishing my run, I paused at the transformation because as we were chatting, I noticed a bug on my leg. Oh, something's on me, I interrupted her story as I looked down to examine what was crawling on me. It was something benign with wings. Okay, as long as it's not a tick, I don't care. Ticks are a whole other category deserving an essay of their own. And then the realization hit. Oh my God, did you just hear what I said? I know, she mused along with me. She, who had had to catch and release or kill spiders that would creep along the corners of her damp Bay Area house when her four-year-old daughter and I would both shriek and jump together at all manners of insect, 
She, being the adult in the room, had no qualms about removing most of the creepy crawlies. The same girl I had taken a bee sting for back when she was an infant. Now that's love. A year ago, as I ran along the country roads, I jumped almost as high as every grasshopper that sprung up in my path. I had to say to myself over and over, better to have a grasshopper land on you than be hit by a car. But still, my instinct to leap away from the grass and into the road was so strong, it took a meditator's focus to keep me off the pavement. Now, they may still startle me a bit, but I feel as if they're more friends than ambushers. Last year, I'd turn and head in the other direction if I saw a rafter of turkeys ambling my way on the run. Now when I see them in the yards and fields that I pass by, I just call out, Hello, turkeys! They're so engrossed in their slow sojourn, they barely notice me. I hadn't been around nature much before. I didn't really want to be. I remember when I was a 20-year-old music student living in the big city, I experienced the wonder of independence, the convenience of public transit, a pizza joint on every other block, and a world of smarts and sophistication up and down sidewalks in any direction. I could and did walk everywhere just to take in the big city of Boston. When I took the green line to the red line and crossed over the Charles River, I'd always make sure I positioned myself on the side of the train where I could see the Hancock and Prudential buildings towering over Back Bay. I remember consciously thinking, I can't imagine ever getting sick of looking at this skyline. And I never did, even as I watched it intensify through the decades. But then, what internal mechanism in me switched a new lure of freedom. Now, the vista that I can't imagine ever getting old is the meadow by the farm on Pleasant Hill Road. Truly a pleasant hill. What makes this meadow unique in all of Maine? I don't know yet, but when I see this particular meadow, I know we're back near home. Our meadow, like the little prince's rose, unique to him from all other roses. Thorns, spiders, crickets, The wonder in our experience is never perfect and always ephemeral. But I think maybe beauty is that which has a newness that doesn't grow old. A skyline. A meadow. Also, like falling in love. And this has only been your one. Beautiful, Michelle. Thank you. That's so... Thank you. I love, love how the essay you know, goes from the very minute and it grows broader and broader Mm. as you go. As you were writing it, did you kind of have that feel like I'm going to, did you know what the metaphor was you were kind of heading toward? I don't think I did. And, you know, that's one thing I talk about with so many writers on this podcast is why do they write? I think I write to know what I'm thinking. Like I, I write to get to that point because, you know, when I saw that cricket and I was just like, oh my God, I, I didn't know what to do. And um, right. it stuck with me and I knew that it was like, okay, this is something I have to write about in my newsletter. And so many of the people that I would hear back from in the newsletter are also city dwellers. And so sometimes they'd be like, wow, that's a lot to deal with. And then I think for people who don't have such 
bug phobias as I really have. Um, they're like, mm, come on, Michelle, get over it. And that's <laughs> so right. it's somewhere between those things. But I think that when I know that something has piqued my curiosity, I have to keep writing through it until I get to why or what right. what it is. And with yeah. this, that's kind of what it led to is like, wow, all these changes in me and how did this happen? And uh, boy, check that out. I, I can imagine that for you looking back over a year of, you know, now it's two years, right? And right. of, you know, living what constitutes basically a whole new life, right? From what you were living, that it must be, you know, just kind of awe inspiring every time you kind of do take a moment and become self-aware of, wait, I'm not so scared of the bugs anymore. Wait, I actually yeah. am accepting this as part of home. This is part of what our right. life is. Yeah, right? definitely, yeah. definitely. I think that there is that whole sort of immediate, you know, anyone who's moved to a new place, whether it's, you know, across town or somewhere new, it's like a recentering that you start doing in your head, like, okay, how do I get from here to there? Or what is it? And being in a different state is really, it's a whole other thing. I mean, it's not that far, but it's a whole new world. So, um, and like you say, now we're coming up on two years. And so I feel that level of settling a little more in like okay this is it's still a wonder every time I do run along the road or the things that I see it's kind of funny because I was thinking about it this morning when I was on my run and what I'm noticing this year I don't know about where you are but I have noticed so many of those gypsy moth caterpillars this year. I'm like, oh, interesting. oh I, I didn't even really remember <laughs> them last year. And I know in Maine, we have the brown tail moth caterpillars that are kind of toxic-ish. You know, they can give you a right. nasty rash and all this stuff. So I'm sort of on the lookout for them. I know what they look like. I remember gypsy moth ones from my childhood. We had them. And, you know, there's different seasons and different things of to each year like this year this is bad or this year that's bad and the ticks I don't know basically the first day that we sat out on our deck I looked down and there's a tick on my shirt I'm like I didn't even step off the porch <laughs> I do agree with what you say in your essay that you know ticks in New England deserve their own essay yeah you know, especially <laughs> if you have dogs if you have yeah <laughs> yeah right. and Rocky right. is indoor only so one time I noticed there was a tick crawling on him like it somehow got in the house but I like flicked it off before it had made its way under his fur and I just right. you know I worry about that and I know you have you have a dog yeah. or dogs so. I have two dogs actually. yeah yes. yeah so we're doing tick checks all the time so mm. But it must be, you know, I like how you were saying, like, you're starting to feel like you're settling in, you feel more settled. And I imagine that you feel more settled kind of physically, like in the space, because this is a house you're working on, right, as you're, yep. as you're yep. living in it. So as time goes by, I'm sure like, you're settling into the design of the house to what you're doing on the house. But I imagine that that sense of feeling settled within yourself is also something that you feel changing and yes adapting as yeah you go. it is and um and I do think it's funny again like to return to this theme of bugs it feels like 
it feels like it shouldn't be that big a deal. <laughs> but I don't know why it really is. My whole life I have been really like, I hate that buzzing sound. I hate when they start circling your head. I jump. I shriek. My mother used to always say, Michelle, you know, you're bigger than them. They're more scared of you than you are of them. And I'd go, mm, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's why that's been a pretty big thing for me that that I'm less phobic than I used to be, which I feel like right. is, um, yeah, I need to unpack that one a little bit more as I do more writing, I think. Yeah, well, there are different themes that kind of weave their way into this essay that I wonder, as you were reading, I was thinking about this whole theme of metamorphosis, and I was thinking that you have a lot of other themes that kind of weave their way, you know, this theme of overcoming fears and theme of change of life, you know, making a decision and uprooting yourself and starting somewhere new. And I wonder, do you see yourself writing any more on those themes or have those themes kind of entered into your writing? Um, that's also a good question. In a funny way, a little less so. I think, I don't know about you, but when something's more of a tussle that I'm thinking about, I tend to write about it more. And I think I've been writing about it a little less. I did stop doing that weekly newsletter when I hit the one year mark because I kind of felt like, all right, I had set out to to do this thing to mark the mm -hmm. first year. And then I heard back from a few fans, I'll call them, who are, you know, friends and lovely people who really had reached out and told me how much they enjoyed the newsletter. And I do get the question from time to time, like, oh, we haven't heard what's going on on the farm anymore. I mean, I call it a farm. It's <laughs> it's a house with a big yard and a big barn. <laughs> so I haven't really written as dedicatedly on those themes. And um, I have to say now, as I'm like coming up on the anniversary of a year of not writing it, I have really kind of missed that weekly time writing as well as thinking because it's more the mindset that you get into of what's important this week. Right. The other thing that I find really valuable and why I love writing is because it really helps me remember what has gone on. I'm a pretty decent journaler. I don't write every day in a journal, but I do keep a journal. And when things get a little more stressful or there's more going on, I write more. And so as I go back and look at times when I had a lot going on, I was going back recently looking out right before we moved. And I go, oh my God, I forgot all these things were going on at work. All these things were going on with trying to sell our house in Boston to get here. I mean, it was so much more. I tend to look back in the great wash of the past and go, oh yeah, and I'll remember a few things, but I don't remember them all. <laughs> so it's almost <laughs> right, my own right. record of my life as much as anything else. So I'm kind of rethinking that. Like, I'm thinking maybe I'll go back to doing my weekly newsletter. I don't know if people are interested sure. in that, but, yeah. you know, it's a possibility. Absolutely. So your podcast, obviously, you know, you've spent a lot of time talking about kind of the daring nature of writing, this idea of when we write 
personal experience, when we write about things in our lives, it is an act, a daring act. And so in thinking about this particular essay, you know, what feels daring to you about the writing that you've done? Yeah, I, oh man, I was thinking about that a lot because I thought, oh, do I even pass my own sniff test for this? Like, is it daring? And in some ways, I think it doesn't feel all that daring, but in other ways, I think it does in that truly admitting my phobia about bugs feels a little like, yeah, I, I just really get really creeped out by them. And so dedicating a whole essay to it feels a little like, okay, yeah, this is this is a thing. But I do think that more so what this is about is is about life and how we change and what what a quality of life means to have you know what happens when mm -hmm. you know i'm in my 50s i'm not <laughs> not all that old but as i Some have days said it feels that way though doesn't it yes <laughs> I, i'm older than i've ever been right and right. um as young as I'll ever be, all those cliches. And when I do think about like, okay, what is this all about? What are we doing? What is the equivalent for me of hiding under a leaf and singing? You know, am I, I don't know when a big daddy long legs is going to crawl out from somewhere and take right. me over. You know, I write about some health issues that I've had in the past that you and I have talked about when I had a GI surgery and a polyp and it got taken out and it was great. Living with the repercussions of that has been a little bit of a roller coaster ride, but I do feel like I try and err on the side of being like, oh my God, thank God I'm here to keep going. Right. And and I think right. writing about it is still scary every day. Well, so that bigger theme, right, of kind of exposing the you know, kind of the greater thinking of how we're starting to view life and what we're starting to value and what, you know, how that changes over time too. You know, that seems kind of a daring topic for a lot of people because I think sometimes we don't want to admit that life changes us and that we become yes. different people out of our experiences right. as well. Yeah, right? yeah. I think we don't like to admit the ways that we're different. I think in that's... Right. Yeah, and I'm different in so many ways that are both difficult and also uh, amazing. So right. I think that is the wonder of what we're here for on this earth, not to get too grandiose, but I mean, I, it's top of mind a lot. <laughs> and that's sure. I think it's why I really enjoy talking with writers who are considering also some of the really, the hard stories, the difficult things. Um, the big questions that life raises for us, right? Exactly. I can imagine that it felt daring for you to actually read this essay, you know, to just because you're somebody who has not put a lot of writing out into the world up until now, and you're working toward that, right? So, yes. So I'm curious what it felt like to you to be reading this and knowing, you know, you're in that, you're in the hot seat, in a sense, you know, where your work is under scrutiny, well, here's my deep, dark confession about that one. I love reading my work. I will, I will really, I'll, I'll fess up to that. I really like reading my own words. I think because I do have the chance to sit, 
write them, edit them, consider them. And my husband, Phil, is always my first audience. And when I feel it's ready, I'm like, okay, do you want to hear this thing? And I sit down and I read it. And I love reading it out loud. And I am someone who, man, I don't really like speaking in front of people. Like Mm -hmm. if we had to go somewhere and have an audience and present something, I don't know. (laughs) If we were on stage, if we were sitting on stage, that would not be your favorite thing. No, 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 no. And, you know, even as a radio producer, I have loved the behind the scenes aspect of that work. But there's something about reading my own work that I really enjoy. And I do think that it's a chance for me to feel like I've spent enough time considering what I have to say, and now I'm going to say it. I think that in extemporaneous conversation, I get myself all twisted and turned up so much I'm not sure what I think or what I know. But by the time I've like written it out... And written it down, I go, okay, you might not like what I have to say, but here's what I have to say. Right. And it feels good to hear it, doesn't it? It does. To hear it out loud and to kind of come to that place where you hear it. I always tell my students, I always know that I've I've hit on something if I get choked up, if I'm reading my own work, you know, you kind of feel like, oh, well, maybe I've captured something that I wanted to, you know, capture and... Yeah. That's the other side of it is like when I sit down to read something out loud and this one, I didn't do it, which also tells me like, okay, Michelle, you need to be a little more daring (laughs) next time. But the point where one chokes up, when you feel those tears coming, I go, okay, I've gotten to something really important. Um, Right. Right. Something important's happening there. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Exactly. So... Broadening out from this one specific essay, I know you mentioned a few minutes ago that you have been working on writing about your surgery, writing about this experience of illness. And I know that this has become a memoir project for you. And I wonder if you would talk a little bit more about the broader writing that you're doing and kind of what has motivated you to move into going with a book length project and how that's going for you, what that experience has been like for you. Sure. It's been every emotion <laughs> one can think of, I think. it's um, It's been really, on one hand, it's felt really indulgent because as we've moved here, I've had um, more time that I can spend working on my writing. And Writing about the surgical experience and not just that per se, but I think the recovery and the theme is my gut and how, you know, I had a very religious upbringing that was a religion that trained me to not trust myself, essentially, to not trust the things my body was saying. So even though I left that religion in my early 20s, there's those deeper onion layers that are still part of who we are. So the expunging, perhaps, of what I think and feel and who I am is some of the deeper core issues that I've been really trying to grapple with. And I've been writing about them 
through scenes that have to do with trusting myself, like the ways that I have tried since surgery to know what I think and know what I feel. And essays like this in a funny way are me puzzling through it. So I, I love the essays. And I think that's also why I really loved the newsletter that I did because it was like an essay and I could have as many words as I wanted, although they sometimes they got a little out of control. But <laughs> um, right. so working on the memoir, it's funny because that has sort of taken a back seat as I have done more, I don't know if you want to call background work or something like producing the podcast. Um, I right. have a podcast right. client even. So doing the weekly writing and doing the podcast has helped me explore how other people have written books, which is why I was really drawn to you and your story as well, because your book was all about that. And I'm like, wait, her book's kind of right. like my podcast. Right. So that was pretty cool. And yeah, the I, I'm still working on the memoir, but that's more slow going. And I use that word scene so cavalierly and realize I'm like, don't have enough scenes. I've like write a lot of <laughs> pontification. And so I've got to be spending some more time going back and like have to put some more scenes in and all that writerly stuff that we sure think about too. So I don't sure. know. I'm meandering. I feel like I'm kind of. No, I think you're doing great. I think, you know, one of the things that you mentioned there was kind of the surgery is kind of what started you writing about it, but it's really becoming a story that's so different than just being a story about having gotten this surgery, right? And I love how you talk about that you started recognizing it's all about your gut and it's all about kind of trusting yourself. And I I think about, you know, there's a book by the writer Vivian Gornick called The Situation in the Story. And she talks about this idea that often we start off with this set of circumstances that we think we're writing about, you know, and we kind of believe that that's the driving force. And what that creates is kind of this backdrop. It's the the scaffolding mm. of the story. But then somewhere in that writing process, we have to ask ourselves, you know, what's the real story here? And I imagine that that's where you're feeling, you know, before we came on the air here, you were talking about the fact that you feel like you've hit the point where you know where you're stopping this memoir. You've got a pseudo manuscript in, you know, a rough manuscript. And it must feel like for you to have all this material and then to start being able to go back and ask yourself this question, like, what is this story really about? What am I trying to accomplish here? Yep. Right? Exactly. Exactly. I have that book, The Situation and the Story, on my stack of writing books that I <laughs> am still working my way through. But that's, yeah, right. that sounds that sounds exactly right. So I'll have to dig into that one next. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and I think, you know, you talk about kind of the background, you know, work that you're doing with this podcast. Yeah. I also think we need that as writers, this, you know, I know for me, I've talked about writing hard stories was a very selfish endeavor. I was really struggling with trying to tell this difficult story. And I wanted to talk to writers who had also struggled, but I also wanted to kind of see them beyond the struggle, you know, with their published right. books and knowing that having done it, having gone through the struggle was a value. And, you know, I kept 
asking those questions. I mean, I would have continued to just keep talking to, 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 yeah. to writers because it it does, it feeds you. And I, you know, so do you want to talk a little bit about how this podcast, how talking to the writers that you've had the opportunity to talk to for this podcast, what has that done for your writing process? Oh, man. Um, you know, it's, it has made me feel a little braver, a tiny bit. Like, I do feel like the braveness are many steps that we take almost one one word one little story at a time where I go okay no one is ever even gonna see this so if all that matters is I put down these words so I know what I'm thinking I've at least given myself that much permission which for me is huge like I just I have come from not allowing myself to think certain things. Um, I really had such a mental block of what are the right thoughts and what are the wrong thoughts being in my upbringing. And, um, and I think that the other thing that I grapple with about that is my childhood was not all terrible. It had some really, in my opinion, bizarre, (laughs) difficult things that made me very different from everyone else. So I think I've spent a lot of my growing up time figuring out what part of that am I not comfortable and not okay with. But yet I've discovered myself to be a person who very much feels like I, I almost like the role of outsider. So it's uh, it, it's all these interesting discoveries that I think one does make when you give yourself the permission to contemplate more. And to draw it back to the podcast, I've really, um, I think of like Fook Tran, who had all these grapple with parents who couldn't understand what he was dealing with in coming to a new country um that's I, I i identify with things in a whole bunch of kinds of ways and my family might have you know spoken the same language and looked like everyone else in our town looked but i was different in ways that i knew i was different and there's that oh how can i fit in part of it so mm-hmm. i do gravitate towards stories that i feel what part of myself do I see in this story? So there's so many stories out there that I feel like, oh, I wouldn't think that this makes me think about me, but it does. And so that's been my sort of guiding principle. And I do really try to um, feel feel that connection with the stories that I choose and the people that I have. It helps me answer some question or some unknown of myself as I go. I will say I've begun loving it so much. I think like you, I go, (laughs) I could keep doing this forever. Like I really enjoy talking with writers about what they're, what they're writing and how they're writing and what it means to them and how they get there and what their fears are. I, I think the more I, read about writing I think the whole idea of being courageous of understanding the act of writing as an act of bravery with 
everything. I mean, I've just started another book talking about how even E.B. White said that, you know, like every, all these, and I'm going, it's like, oh, another city person turned Mainer. Right, right, right. (laughs) Not that I dare to compare myself to him in any way, but these are the things and the ideals that I feel like I try to bring into what I do and help it help me in some way. So I agree with your kind of um, assessment. It feels like a very selfish act because I feel like this is my chance to figure stuff out. But I also think, you know, I am working on an essay right now. It's called On Cookies and Rejection. And it's... (laughs) And I'm writing about, you know, kind of these fancy cookies that I love to make. And I'm kind of butting that up against, you know, this process of trying to find a publisher for my memoir and how the two have kind of gone hand in hand. And, you know, kind of the theme underneath this kind of tongue in cheek about like, nobody ever says no to cookies. I always Ah. know 100% of the time, you know, they're accepted if I offer them. And, you know, but also this idea that I think as writers, we need to find the thing that we also feel good at. Mm. Because, you know, this, the journey to, to write and to get our writing out there is a long and sometimes torturous path that can lead us to kind of doubt our own skills and our own abilities. And so I also love continuing to do interviews because for me, interviews feel it's creative, it's work, but it's also something I know I know how to do. Yes. And so when I sit down to do an interview, I know that I'm going to be able to get the interview the way I want the interview to be, because yep. it's something I I understand the process and I know what the finished product should be. When you're writing creatively, it's such a different path, right? You don't have that kind of finite sense of where it's going to end and where it's going to take you. And that's the part that feels so scary and feels like you have to steal up that courage, right? Yeah. And so I imagine that for you, doing this podcast is kind of fueling that piece of you that says, well, this is something I can do and I can do it well, when all that other self doubt comes out, right? Yeah, yes, actually, you nailed it. Yeah, because I, <laughs> I know how to put audio together. I know how to talk with people. And it's funny, the, the part that I've really had to learn doing this is being the host, you know, like, if I was doing an interview with someone, I was always cutting myself out of the final product or I'd be working with a host or someone else who was reading the questions or asking the questions and then I'd put it together afterwards. So learning host has been a whole new skill and it took sure. me, oh God, it's silly to say this, but it took me probably what I called my season one, which are the first 12 or 13 episodes, which I culminated that with one of my essays for that as well it took me all that time to realize wait I'm the host like I have to (laughs) I knew I was talking but I wasn't I don't know it takes a while to learn the things that sometimes that we even know but overall yeah I was like I know how to get an episode of something out but yeah writing you go especially with me where I like you said at the beginning of this like I don't know where it's going I have to look inside to see where it wants to go and that's been a very um, mysterious process that is very scary and it feels really so fun too though you're like okay if you can just sort of throw your mental caution to the wind and say i'm just gonna keep 
writing to where this is going and sometimes it doesn't go anywhere but a lot of times it does and so I go all right I'm I'm getting at something and usually there's something that ends up looping back and I go oh okay that's that's what this is about and then I can think about it more and I go yes so I love those little moments when it's sort of I realize what it's about and I am hoping that there's going to be a point where I know what my memoir is about because I think I've known what it was about but it might be about something else. I don't know. <laughs> I think there will be a point where you get to that. You know, I you think about, you know, you're writing about illness, you're writing about your own personal experience. You know, one of the paths that I've taken with my work is to start becoming familiar with the narrative medicine field, which is oh, yeah. this idea of how stories of illness and trauma, how they inform both the person's experience, helps them to understand that the the experience that they've been through, but it also helps to inform the practice of medicine in so many ways right. as well, right? I've that, heard of that, you know, yeah. That shift from, you know, seeing the illness to seeing the patient, right? And it's stories that help create that shift. And, you know, when you write your own personal experience of illness, you're also offering kind of the gift of community to other people mm. who might be going through the same thing and who right. are looking for just somebody else's experience, understanding how somebody else coped, you know, knowing that yep. they have to go through the same thing. So, exactly. you know, you might be getting to that place in your writing and, you know, you never know where it'll take you. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, it's... um. A lot of bathroom stories, so you know. <laughs> it's not stuff you people know, talk about all talk, that much. But we always talk about that we need to tell more of these kinds of stories because people need to know and people want to be able to talk about their own bathroom stories if they need to, you know? I think they so. do. I've gotten a few sort of little, oh, you're willing to talk about that. Well, you know, right. so, yeah. Well, you're daring to tell. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I am. I am. Right. Well, so from your end today, you know, from the being in the writer's chair today. Yes. What do you want to leave people with and thinking about kind of the work you're doing, Uh, the place that you are with your writing? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. I hope people are interested. You know, I'm just curious, like we all look for acceptance, you know. Do you like it? I I do feel that when I read something of my own and I do feel like, okay, maybe next time around I'll, I'll come out with something that's a little more daring. But I, I think we get to some daring stuff today, absolutely, honestly. So. Absolutely. And I think the more conversations we have like this, you know, about just what it feels like to be living this writing life and the, you know, the risks and vulnerability and exposure, no matter what you're exposing, whether it's your fear yeah. of bugs or, you know, some deep, dark secret, it's still vulnerable, right? And, yeah, you know, yeah. the, I think the more we talk about it, the more we, we normalize it it helps it to become easier as writers to enter that territory. Exactly. And if there is anything that I guess I do feel like I try to live or espouse, it it is that I do really believe in being vulnerable. You know, I think one obviously has to protect oneself to some extent, but I think that it's really only through vulnerability that we encourage connection with others that you say oh yeah you know that happened to me too and 
I feel like overall, I'm usually pretty willing to, I think it's part of why, I, like I said before, I really enjoy reading out loud. I like the chance to talk about the things that not everybody really wants to. And I think that it brings so much more connection on the other side when we allow ourselves to go there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the work that you're doing with this podcast is opening that door for people. So I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to sit in both of these seats, you know, to sit in the hostess seat and to also sit in the writer seat. Well, it has been fabulous. No matter what seat you've been in, I've really enjoyed taking your class and having you on and then allowing you, allowing you, having you on as my host. So it's just been great, Melanie. It's really, I've enjoyed it as well. well thank you for inviting me to do this, Michelle. And I Absolutely. continue to wish you luck with all of the work that you're doing. And I'm excited to read more of your essays. Thank you. Thank you so much. And likewise, I look forward to seeing more of you in print as well. Thank you. So as always, I've been thinking about our conversation and this episode a lot as I put this together. And here's one more little nugget. It is only by trusting the intuition that we have in darkness that we feel our way toward the light. That's what I think I mean when I say that I write to know about what I think and what I feel. I'm reading an amazing book right now by the writer Rebecca Solnit. It's called The Far Away Nearby. And it is spoken to me in so many ways. But as I am putting the finishing touches on this episode, I read one line that she had said in the context of the amount of daylight and darkness that happens in the extreme north and south of the earth. She said, Creation is always in the dark because you can only do the work of making by not quite knowing what you're doing, by walking into darkness, not staying in the light. And that idea gives me so much comfort, I can't even tell you. It is how I work in darkness. And... So that's made me want to revise one of my answers when Melanie asked me if the themes in this essay play out in what I'm writing next. Um, the answer should be yes, absolutely. This essay is basically about fear. From the very smallest things to the very largest. Fear of bugs, fear of dying, and even more immediate, fear of living. It is the one constant in most of my writing, and I keep writing to try and work myself towards the light, to try and trust my intuition. So thank you for indulging me in this conversation today and all of these thoughts. 
the month that I am recording this episode, July of 2022, marks one year for me of volunteering at Twice Told Tales, an outstanding used bookstore on Main Street in Brunswick, Maine. It is also the seventh anniversary of the store itself, which is run by the Friends of Curtis Memorial Library, and it is the bookstore I am throwing a spotlight onto this month, so if you live in or might be visiting the mid-coast of Maine, stop by Twice Told Tales, tell one of the volunteers staffers there that you would like the daring to tell prize package there is only one so you have to be first this month's package comes in a brand new twice told tales tote bag and you'll also get a 20 dollars gift certificate and a copy of melanie brooks's book telling hard stories plus a few other little goodies i hope you will go in there and check out the store or your local bookstore Daring to Tell will be back again as it is on the first Tuesday of every month. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Michelle Rado or sign up for my newsletter, which is called Hit Pause, at my website, michellerado.com. Thank you to my wonderful husband, Phil Rado, for writing the theme music that I use. And of course, my biggest thanks go to you for daring to listen. Stay brave. I imagine all the trees can see and the sun can move and the moon will slide into that place where we'll spend 